0: downloading the audio podcast of this week's sermon. We pray you'll be blessed and encouraged with the words you hear. That's great. Thank you so much for uh, the warm welcome, Pastor Paul, and uh, the sense of the Holy Spirit in the room. Um, I, I usually am a bit nervous, though. When, I know that might sound strange because I've been many years serving the Lord in ministry and in different settings, but um, when I come to different places, it can be a little bit nerve-wracking. I was preaching in a, a church in Belfast. there. I came out in cold sores. I was so nervous about meeting the people, but as I look out on your faces, I, I shouldn't have any need to worry as I share a little bit about my story and about what the Lord is doing. Um, but being nervous reminds me of uh, a, a preacher years ago who was Uh, asked to speak at a church he'd never been to before now I've been here before of course but um, and he was really uh, stumbling a little bit over his message and he thought this isn't going very well and then he heard in the congregation hallelujah and he thought I'll give it a little bit you know he got encouraged and he he started motoring a bit and then he heard a few minutes later another hallelujah and he thought oh praise God somebody's getting something so he, he really talked for ages and then when the meeting was over um he uh was kind of feeling good about himself he went to the end of the church at the door to shake hands and this man was coming through and he said i just want to stop you there and i want to thank you i was getting stuck in what i was saying i was so nervous uh but i heard you shouting hallelujah from the back and it really gave me the unction to to keep going and preach a much longer sermon. He said, I wasn't saying hallelujah, I was saying that'll do you. (laughs) uh, So, uh, (laughs) if I hear any that'll do you's tonight, uh, I'll kind of try and get the hint. Um, I've been told the water on the left is mine, so I'll. um, So where to start? I suppose I'll just say, um, a little bit about myself and then give you my background and then tell you what I'm, what I'm involved with at the moment. And I trust and pray that God will speak by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, when we come to meet together in the name of Jesus Christ, there is a serious possibility that you will encounter God. There's a serious possibility that God will touch you, that God will speak to you, that God will cause a shift in your heart Uh, there is a distinct possibility as you sit within the radius of God's grace tonight that you will be able to leave this place different to the way you come in and that's why we come isn't it to meet each other but to meet with the Lord and meeting him is transformational and at least that's the way it's been in my life Uh, at the moment I'm retired as pastor Paul said two years ago uh, I'm married to Vicky, my wife, she sends her apologies, she's, not, she's got a bit of a chest infection at the moment and uh, I thought it would be best for her not to make the journey and stay home tonight. Um, so, I've been married to Vicky for 44 years, I didn't realise when I said I do it was a life sentence without parole and uh, even for good behaviour. Um, I'm still married after 44 years, we have three grown up children who are saved and married and we have eight grandchildren. So we thank God for his goodness and his grace. Um, I was born many, many years ago on the Liberties in Dublin. You might get that from my accent. I'm try- We're kind of living in the north at the moment on the Ards Peninsula. I'll explain a little bit about that later. Um, but I'm from Dublin's inner city, born in the Liberties and then when I was two years of age the family moved uh, to Ballyfermot, a place called Ballyfermot, just on the western suburbs of Dublin. And um, I come from a family of nine children, uh, so my parents were either good Catholics or irresponsible Protestants. Um, actually, they were, I was brought up in a Catholic family and I have five brothers and three sisters. And I think what happened was, uh, when my mother got to eight, it was getting tough enough. Then when she got to nine, she suddenly realized, nine, that's a German refusal. There won't be any more kids in this house. So I think she stopped it there. Mind you, a lot of the other people on the road in which we lived um, had more than nine kids. That was the nature of it, it was a working class area and I went to, uh, was brought up as a Catholic, went to Mary Queen of Angels school. I played, hur- played hurling and Gaelic uh, for the school, and my trainers were two Catholic priests. So I was immersed into that from a very early age. Went to Mass and um, grew up uh, with all those teachings in my life. Um, our family weren't well off. And the area that we were from, not many people went on in school. In fact, I was the first person. I, I'm three of nine. So I was the third in the family. Um, and as I say, I have five brothers and three sisters. Um, I was the first one to do leave and cert, which would be probably A-levels, something like that. All, the, my other two brothers who were ahead of me left school at a very early age, but I I stayed on. But it was a a kind of a rough area, so if you said you were from Ballyferma, your chances of getting a job would have been limited. I'm not saying it was terribly rough, but even the dogs used to go around in gangs uh, to protect themselves uh, from what was going on. Um, And so I grew up, I've, I found the best example I could give, and some of you who are familiar with the Bible may be able to resonate what I say here, but uh, the best example, I didn't know that at the time, but as I look back on my, my spiritual condition, I felt there was something missing in my life. I felt I was lost, and I didn't know why. I felt um, in a large family, I've, to be honest, my experience was one of anonymity. We didn't have mobile phones those days. You used to go out and play, and nobody could contact you. And I used to be gone, you know, till all hours. And, and it was just the nature of life at that time. But but I felt I was lost. And the best example I could give of it is in Daniel chapter 2. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream And the strange thing is, if you read that passage, he didn't know what the dream was. He just knew he had a dream. And then he asked all his counselors and his advisors, what was the dream? And then he threatened to kill them if they didn't give him the dream. And he he was asking for what his dream was, and he didn't know what it was, but he had this sense if he heard it, he would know what it was, okay? And I'll say that because, I was struggling, I I, I began to be disaffected with the Catholic Church, I felt it was irrelevant, Um, I felt there was no connection from me to that system and to going to Mass, although I went to Mass and confession and made my confirmation and communion, but once I came into my mid-teens, I I began to drift away from that completely, and I remember going to uh, see a priest who taught me religion in school Father Nevin and I went to him and I said I don't know what's wrong with me but I just feel I'm I'm depressed I'm I I just feel empty and I feel dead and he he, basically he gave me um a, a book on um Catholic dogma and asked me to read about that thick it was and he thought maybe that would help me And he was so wide of the mark. Honestly, the last thing I needed was a book on dogma. But he he couldn't work out what was wrong with my life. And so I became very depressed and very suicidal. And yet I was the life and soul. You know, that can be, nobody really sees our hearts. And um, I was low and in a dark place on the inside but anybody to look at me would think i was having a great time and so as i left the church i was going out drinking on weekends i was smoking i was partying but i still retained the connection to the church in a strange way this is kind of a, a, a an apparent contradiction a paradox i was president of the society of saint vincent de paul and um uh, we used to meet on a Saturday about 25 young people and I was president of that and yet I never, I stopped going to mass and had no association with the Catholic Church. But we used to, as part of the Vince and the Paul, we used to go into an old folks home in Meat Street in Dublin in the Liberties and I used to give out uncut tobacco, wood binds and sweets. So with a cigarette in my hand, I'd be handing out tobacco to all the old people and that was our good works. For the week and then when that was over we'd have a game of snooker and then we'd go into town and party on a saturday night now as it happened one saturday night um in this group of about 25 one of my friends this was young men and women i was 70 and 18 at this stage and i'd left school i went into accountancy i was studying accountancy in Ratmines college and then um, uh, a f- friend of ours from the Vincent de Paul met three hippies in Grafton Street. In in there, were, there was a dandelion market in Grafton Street where they sold potions and weird garments and uh, herbs and all that kind of stuff. And he picked up three hippies um, in the market who were talking to him about Jesus. And he brought them up to Mead Street to the Vincent de Paul and sat them. Was three sisters from County Mayo, and um, they, they were in the hippie movement at that time in the early 70s. And um, he brought them back to the club, and we were, had come back from the old folks' home, and we'd normally have a cup of tea and play a game of pool and snooker in the, in the youth center, and then we would head into town on the bus and go out for the night. And so these three girls come in. We're talking about Jesus, and uh, uh, some people gathered to have this conversation and have this debate. And I thought, I'm not really interested. So I went into the back room and I was playing snooker for about an hour or an hour and a half because this was about five o'clock. We didn't go into town until much later, and I came back into the room an hour and a half, two hours later, and they were still talking about Jesus. And I thought how can you talk about Jesus for two hours? Who does that? You know, I just knew about Jesus. He came into the world. He died on a cross. What else is there to know? What else is there to say? And this piqued my interest. I couldn't believe they were still talking about Jesus two hours later. And I sat in at the end of this conversation. And then the girl said, there's a meeting on in the city centre would anyone like to go and I said yeah I'd be interested I can't believe that you're talking about Jesus I need to find out what's, what's this buzz you're getting about Jesus so myself and about four or five of the others the rest of them went off their own way but I went into the apostolic church in Pear Street in Dublin and it was in September 1973 that's a long time ago if you did the maths and then um, it was just before I was 19, And I went in there. Pastor David Weir, a Welshman, was the pastor. There was about 15 people in the meeting, and I want to say this to some of you here. The numbers made no difference to me. The numbers made no difference. I went into that meeting with, you know four or five of my friends and sat in the room, and there was mostly older people in there. If if there was 15 people there and we probably made it up to about 20 and uh, I can remember the man that was preaching his name was Tom Jones now he didn't preach on Delilah in case you're thinking that Uh, he preached on what do you have in your hand Moses and all I can remember was me and my friends were joking saying what have you got in your hand what have you got in your hand and so we were just joking about the whole meeting and the whole nature of it and The thing is that whilst we were joking and messing in the meeting, it was really just a defence mechanism because God was in the room. There was a sense of God in the room, a sense of something I had never felt before. After the meeting, the pastor tried to witness to us and here's the irony as well because you know, for those of you who share your faith, sometimes um, you get a reaction that you can't quite make out. I suddenly became the best Catholic in Ireland when they started witnessing to me and I was defending the Catholic Church. I was really getting agitated, getting angry and they were saying about the Bible and everything else and uh, I argued with the pastor and we ended up just parting and leaving the room. But I came back And the girls who had brought us said, come back to another meeting. And I went back to two or three more meetings. I can't quite remember, probably two more meetings. And each time I argued with the pastor and went down the stairs. It was in an upper room. And um, I can remember the final time I went to a meeting. Something had me hooked. And yet um, it didn't make sense to me. But I felt these people had something that I didn't and um, i remember just arguing with the pastor after another meeting that they'd had and he said to me do you know what you know what john he said i'm not going to argue with you anymore he said there's the door you can leave just go down Uh, he said you know uh, no more arguments you either uh, receive jesus christ make a decision or you go out that door and when he said that to me i just stopped i froze in that moment and i realized I was kind of enjoying the arguments and keeping it going, but I didn't want to walk out of that building. And so I said, I need Jesus Christ in my life. And so I went into the room, uh, the back room, that's the way it was done in those days, (laughs) and I knelt down and I prayed the sinner's prayer. And you know, God just touched me in that moment, wherever darkness and shadow, was over my life, was lifted off my soul. Now I was still smoking then so I went home on the bus but I went upstairs. I was upstairs for two reasons, one to have a cigarette and the other one because I felt so good. (laughs) I had to go upstairs because I was lifted in myself and uh, it was fantastic. I went home to my family and I thought they're all going to get saved. This is the greatest thing ever. I don't know how you became a Christian, but for me, it was like I had a divine encounter in that moment. Now, that doesn't happen the same. It's not your emotional experience that determines whether you're a Christian or not. It's your heart responding to the Holy Spirit. And some people have uh, mild feelings and some people have major feelings. Well, I was lifted up in my spirit. When I asked Jesus into my life, a burden came off my shoulders, and I thought, "My family's going to get saved. This is going to be amazing." And I went home to the family, and they were all watching TV back in those days. There was no laptops, iPads, mobile phones. Everybody had to be around the one TV. and the biggest person in the room got to choose what channel you were watching, or the strongest person. And so everybody was around the TV, and I just came home went into the front room, stood in front of the TV, and I said, you all need Jesus. And I started telling them Jesus loved them. I started crying and started getting emotional. And I thought they were all gonna cry out to God. Instead, they said, Ma, he's having a nervous breakdown. Get him out of the TV, he's blocking the TV. We can't can't listen to the program. And um, that was a major shock to me. Did that happen to you? In my family, they wanted me out of the room. They thought I'd gone religious mad. They thought that I'd had a breakdown and that I got involved with some uh, group. And that was the uh, tragic beginnings, if you want to call it that, um, or the negative beginnings. Uh, But you know what? Um, Coming to Jesus Christ changed my life in so many different ways. I went on a different trajectory. And I look back over my life now and I've never regretted that moment when I was faced with a decision of the stairs or the back room that I knelt down and received Jesus Christ into my life. Um, Straight after that, now here's the thing, I didn't know that you had to go to church. Um, I was with hippies at that time because they were the ones who would witness to me. And Although they brought me to meetings, they didn't go to church themselves. Uh, it sounds a little bit hypocritical doesn't it they thought let's bring him somewhere where he'll hear a Pentecostal preacher and I got saved in the Apostolic Church but I didn't know you had to go to church so I I just read my Bible uh, at home and I used to call over to different people who I knew were Christians and I'd open the Bible and we'd have conversations about it and it was like that for two years in my life and some of my friends came to christ uh, on the street where i was i was witnessing in the vincent de paul i turned it into a christian meeting and about 20 of my friends came to jesus christ some of my neighbors on the street came to the lord some of my friends and what i did if they got on the street if they wanted to uh, jesus i bring them into the house upstairs kneel them at the bed and say that prayer will you just say that one out to Jesus and you'll be saved. And God was just doing something in Ballyfirm at that time. I don't know, maybe hundreds of people got saved, but it was an amazing season of divine grace. And, you know, seven members of my family came to, six members of my family came to the Lord. There's two that still haven't crossed the line, but six members of my family gave their lives to Christ over the ensuing years. And, Some of my friends who came to Jesus, and I was still in the Vincent de Paul, still smoking. Now, I know that mightn't suit some of you, but that's the truth. I have to tell you the truth. I was still smoking. Carol's number one, was it? And major. And uh, I was going into the old folks' home with a cigarette saying, Jesus loves you. You need to call on the Lord and get saved. And we led some of the old men and old women in the nursing home to Jesus. With a cigarette in my hand but that's the mercy and grace of God and I knew that I shouldn't be smoking nobody told me that but I just couldn't break the habit and I was trying to cut down I was trying to reduce but that's my story that's the truth and I was still smoking two two and a half years after I became a Christian but some of my friends who became Christians started to go to a church and a number of them started going to the Elam Church in Thomas Street, which was only a short distance from where we had the Vincent and the Paul. And they used to call for me on a Sunday and say, are you coming to the meeting on Sunday? I'd say, why do I need to go to the meeting and have Jesus in the house? And I just didn't understand. But you'll be pleased to know that I did. Eventually uh, the penny dropped and I started going to the Elam Church. And in that time I left the job I was doing in accountancy because God spoke to me and you know my family were real proud of me. I was the first one to wear a suit going to work and um, the, my father was so thrilled with me even though he didn't like my faith and uh, he, you can imagine the shock, I handed him my notice in the job because God told me this is not your life that I want you to work with people, not with finances and figures. And so I handed in my notice, and I didn't know that you could go to Bible school. I thought that you could only be a priest. I, I was so limited in my understanding. I didn't know, even though I was saved in the apostolic church, that was going to a few meetings, and during the two years, I was meeting with hippies and stuff like that. Um, I didn't know that there was pastors that went through Bible College, I didn't know about that, but I knew God uh, had said to me, I want you to work with people, your life is with people. So what I decided to do was, I left the job I was in doing accounting, and I was doing some management as well, I handed in my notice, my father went ballistic because uh, the embarrassment on the street, I was now unemployed and I applied to work in a hospital. So I got a job working with geriatrics and then I got a job in a mental hospital. And I loved it, loved both of those. And I thought maybe God wants me to be a nurse. But when I started going to the Elam church, I heard you could go to Bible college. So I applied to Bible college. They refused me because I was only a young Christian and said apply next year. I applied the next year and I went to Bible College in 1976 and trained for the ministry. And I knew that's what God had called me to be, to be a pastor. And I thank God for that change in my life. I came back in 1979. And one of the things when I was in England, I found it real hard to live in England. Sorry about that. I'm living in the UK now. But um, I was so homesick. I felt God had called me to the Republic of Ireland and I used to cry at night in Bible College. I was so homesick and so lonely and after three years um, the executive let me come back to Ireland and Vicky, uh, I met her at Bible College Um, when we were dating I said, I'm really sorry Vicky but there's only exports from this country, not imports, Um, I have to leave this country as soon as it's convenient because I can't live here, I just am so homesick. Uh, Fair play to my wife Vicky, it didn't matter to her where she lived. And uh, we loved each other. So when we got married, we came back to the Republic of Ireland. And so, started the journey of serving God um, over those years. So 44 years we're married and 44 years we've been serving God in the Republic of Ireland. Um, I came into Dublin initially but then went to the west of Ireland where uh, we worked in Westport and planted into Castlebar and then planted a church in Ballina at that time and bought a building and I was 12 years in the west and then God spoke to me uh, through one of his servants and then through a prophetic word that my time was up and I had to leave. We, got, we had just got a building in Castlebar, and um, God spoke to me and said, You're not going to preach in you know? it. Um, your time is up and you need to move on. At that time, the executive in Elam offered me churches in the north, but I knew if I came to the north, they'd kill me or I'd kill them when I do that. <laughs> no, seriously, I really felt that my calling was to the Republic. And uh, you know what? I thank God for Elam. I thank God for the prayers, the financial giving the friendships I've made over the years that have sustained me in some very, very difficult situations in pioneering in the Republic of Ireland over those years. And so over over the years, we've had the privilege of serving God in Mayo, then we came back to Dublin and planted Ballyferma and planted Tala, and then replanted uh, Ross Cray, and um, so I retired two years ago. I'm just conscious of my time, so I'll try and move on a little bit. But I I wanted to say a couple of things. Um, One was, uh, did someone say hallelujah there? Um, (laughs) uh, A couple of things I want to say about my parents first before I just come and and say just about my illness. But um, you know, my parents, my father didn't go to Mass. He didn't believe in God. He was brought up a Catholic. And he went mad when I became a Christian. And he used to say, Go on, give your money to Paisley. I used to put posters up in the, in the house and he'd pull them down and tear them and throw them in the bin. Um, when two of my younger brothers came to the Lord, my father bet them up. He wouldn't beat me up because I was 19, 20, but they were 13 and 14. And, you know, the family, there was just chaos in the family with the gospel. And, you know, um, when my father used to come down to Mayo to visit me, um, and he would go to the pub and so he was so embarrassed that I was a pastor he used to say he had eight children um, when he was in Dublin uh, meeting in the pub or meeting other people he never said he had me when he was in Mayo he said um, he had when people asked him why he was down in Mayo he said he had a son living and working in Mayo and they used to say "Oh, what does he do maybe we'll know him and, and a few times he, when he was visiting my house, he'd come back to the house with a phone number. He said, there's a number there. I was talking to one of the fellas uh, uh, down in the pub and he asked me, what did you do? I told him you were an electrician. And he said, where did you work? I told him you were unemployed. He said, if you ring that number tomorrow, there's a few jobs he'll give you on, on some And then a carpenter. But my father just was so embarrassed about the gospel. And to be honest, it impacted me greatly. Um, but the thing is this, I prayed for my father and mother every single day, even though they, my father particularly was resistant to the gospel. And I want to say this to encourage some of you tonight, that um, in 1925 years, I was a Christian and um, my father took ill in 1998 and he had a heart attack and was taken into hospital and I had a brother... I had a brother who worked in the army for 15 years, he used to do border patrols during the Troubles, he was a sergeant working out of Dundalk and he became a Christian and he was in London then at that time and I rang him and I said, Val, Daddy Mac is dying. I said, we really need to get prayer going because he, he, I really feel, you know, he's seriously ill and we don't know what's going to happen. So my brother said he would come over, he would fly over. I had, a, I had a, an evangelist over with me, an Irish man from Mayo who was living in America. I used to get him over and preach, and he was with me at the time, and I asked him would he come to the hospital to speak to my father, and so he came to the hospital with me, and my father had, had a heart attack, and he was sitting at the side of the bed on a drip, and I went in with this man, Frank, to speak to my dad, and... I said, I love you. And I don't want to, I want you to go to the same place I'm going. And Frank shared his testimony. And to cut a long story short, Frank said to me, Father, would you like to ask Jesus into your life? And my Father said, Yeah, I would. And then um, Frank said, Would you like me to pull the curtains around the bed? And my Father, the macho man that he is, said, No, leave the curtains. And in that moment, sitting at the bed, my father called out audibly upon Jesus Christ for salvation. Never give up praying; God answers prayer. My brother came onto the ward, maybe about a half an hour later, and I grabbed him at the door and I said, "Val, hallelujah! Daddy Mac is—that's what we used to call him, Daddy Mac—has just asked Jesus to save him. Say to, to save him." And my brother said. Um, he was in an African church, a Ghanaian church in London, mainly Ghanaian, he said when I was leaving the church I asked him to pray for Daddy Mac, he said a woman came up to me and she said she had a vision and said your dad's gonna get saved, I have a picture of him sitting by a hospital bed calling on Jesus for salvation. My brother said he's after doing it right there, isn't that amazing? Holy Spirit just working in that situation. Two years later, my father died. He was ill for two years. I used to give him the Gator Trio videos and stuff like that. And when he died, the family had a meeting and some of my older brothers, um, and uh, my dad died and I said, we're going to give him a Christian burial. And my oldest brother who's an atheist said, no, you got to him when he was weak and and, uh, uh, weak in his mind and body. He's gonna have a Catholic funeral. And we had a bit of a dispute at that time because they wanted to put rosary beads in his hand. I said, he never had rosary beads when he was alive. You're not gonna put them in his hand now. You'll put a Bible in his hand. And if he has to get buried through the Catholic church, fine, whatever happens to his body doesn't matter to me, but you're not gonna stick rosary beads in his hand in the name of Jesus. So uh, they agreed to stick a Bible in his hand. He got buried through the Catholic Church, but a couple of my brothers got together and said, at the time they weren't all saved, Uh, they said, we don't want this, they they forbade me to say anything at his funeral, um, because they were afraid I would get Pentecostal, do you know what I mean? And so again, that deeply affected me. But these are the things that happen, I'm just being honest with you. And so I had to attend a Catholic funeral with my father and I wasn't allowed to say anything at the funeral because members of my family were saying, I'll have workmates there, you're an embarrassment with your Jesus stuff. But I knew that my father had given his life to the Lord. My mother gave her life to the Lord some years before that. And On the way, I was bringing her to a meeting and we were talking about God. And I said, Ma, would you have to go to the meeting? Would you like to have Jesus in your life now? She said, I would. So I said, let's pull in on the side of the road. So in the darkness on that night, I led my mother in a word of prayer and she gave her life to Jesus. And when we planted the church in Ballyferma, she was first in the door. And when we were leaving Ballyferma to plant into Tallaght, she said, can I come with you? I said, no, Ma, you live in Ballyferma. You need to stay in Ballyferma. And so my father died in 2000, and my mother died in 2010. But I'm delighted that God answers prayer. And, you know, when we pray and call upon his name, um, he hears our cry. Hallelujah. Um, just. Yeah, I, I want to just say as well, I'll talk fast, is that alright, so I can get more so yeah. um, I do want to give a word of thanks. I know it's a bit late in the day, it's February 2023, but I was seriously ill in 21 when I was retiring and um, I, I got COVID and myself and my wife had bought a holiday home in Clocky uh, on the Ards Peninsula. We'd sold the flat that we were sharing with our son and with the proceeds got a property there. And we were up there for a week, and I took ill, and I was taken, I just took seriously ill. And I've never had kind of any major problems in my life, health wise. Um, but I, I took seriously ill and just uh, went downhill over a period of about five, six days. And they rang for an ambulance, but I was waiting five hours on an ambulance. And when my wife rang, they said it'll be another four hours. Just throw them in the car, and I was brought into A and E, and I was at death's door. Seriously, um, I was in hospital for about a month, and then I was months recovering after that. And you know, um, they were talking about putting me into an induced coma. I had little or no breathing capacity, and I was dead on the bed, um, unable, uh, just completely incapacitated. Whatever it was that afflicted me, I'd never experienced the like of it before. And um, I know that all the churches were praying for me. And I want to just say thank you for your prayers and for your intercession and for the love and and the, the warmth and the support that my wife and I felt at that time when it seemed that Jesus was wanting me to come home. Um, I was still the pastor of the church in Tala and when I got out of hospital uh, it took me about two three months to recuperate and when I was fit enough I went back to the church and um, you'll understand when I say this because this is an Irishism isn't it I rebuked him I said because of your prayers I'm still here I could have been in heaven now if it wasn't for you praying but you have prayed me from the threshold of heaven to bring me back to this place for goodness sake What sort of love is that to have for your pastor? Anyway, they understood. It was an affectionate slap. But but God wasn't finished with me yet, and so by his mercy and by his grace, I'm thankful that God spared me and enabled me to recover. And uh, I'll finish up in the next few minutes. Please, don't shout hallelujah just yet. I just want to say a little bit about, you know, the amazing thing is that Um, I think it was Rick Warren said, where there's a pulse, there's a purpose. And you know, sometimes Christians feel, oh, I've missed God's will, or I made a bad decision there, took a wrong turning there. Don't ever believe the lie that while you're still alive, that somehow you can't begin to flow into the purpose that God has for your life. Because he's an amazing God. He can recalibrate your journey and give you a fresh start. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I was ready to die and I'd surrendered myself to whatever God had for me and then God redirected my steps I didn't get to say farewell that was my retirement year and in my recovery then I found myself in the north uh, in the house in Clocky, because I was too ill to come back to Dublin um, and um, I recovered in Clocky, and we felt we would stay up there because that's where God seemed to have me and I got free travel in Northern Ireland, hallelujah, and in the Republic of Ireland. But I had initial difficulties because when I got on the bus uh, and I was in Newtownards and I was saying to the bus driver Clahy, he'd be saying where Clahy, Clahy, and then I, I realised it's Clacky, it's Clacky in Northern Ireland. So uh, once I learned how to say right, I was able to get on the bus and and get to where I was going, um, but. Uh, there was a, a, a Christian that I knew used to be a criminal and involved in drugs and he was ringing me and he was saying if I got a place to rent for a meeting would you be willing to get involved with it and you know I'd always felt that there are churches to be planted in Dublin and there's places where there's no Christian witness and to cut a long story short um, I said as soon as I'm well and I said it'll be January before I have any kind of proper mobility. And so in February last year, he hired a room in a place called Ballybock. Um, and I came down and we started to evangelize in that area and do some meetings there, because there's no Christian church in Ballybock. It's the north inner city, about one kilometer from Connolly station, the major train station. Um, and. God just began to move over the last, over the the initial number of months, we had about 25 people give their lives to Jesus Christ. So we started doing Holy Spirit Thursdays with anointing oil, preach and pray for people and we just saw God move and um, you know, I really have been so excited about that. So I go down three days a week, free travel, on the bus and the train get off at Connolly, walk up to Ballybach, and I do a meeting on a Thursday, and I was doing Saturday meetings because we couldn't get a place to meet on a Sunday. We have 26 people there. Uh, Some of the people who got saved um, have gone into other churches because we haven't had a Sunday meeting. We've been meeting there for a year now. But I I want to say as I just bring what I'm sharing with you to a close we uh, managed to get the GAA Handball Alley in Ballybock and we have our first Sunday, next Sunday the 12th of February and so we have Wednesday night meetings in the Ballybock Community Centre and we're starting Sunday services in Ballybock, the first time ever in Ballybock um, starting Sunday services and we're really looking to God. As I say we have 26 people And we're believing God for more people to get saved and come to know the Lord. Um, We've had people get saved from drugs, criminality and prostitution in that group. It really is the broken and the marginalized who are coming to the Lord. People who don't know their left hand from their right as far as spiritual terminology is concerned. But we're so excited to see what God is doing. It's absolutely fantastic. Please, if you have any space in your prayer diary, remember Ballybock. I was only there in a couple of months, and I said to the group, because even the literacy in the group isn't great, I said to them, do you know what Ballybock means, because I always like to do a bit of research into things, and they said, no, it means Ballybockt, which means the poor town. It's built on a mud flat in the north inner city. And so I said, you're called the poor town. But Jesus has come to the poor town in order to bring the riches of his grace, hallelujah. And so, uh, where I am at the moment, I thought I was retiring and going to have an easy life, looking at the sun setting over Strangford Lock on the Arts Peninsula, instead I still have one foot in the Republic and one foot in the no- north of Ireland, but we have many friends north of the border because of the grace and mercy of the Lord. Thank you for your prayers over the years and for your support. I don't think I would have stayed in the ministry and serving God and pioneering churches if it wasn't for the backup that I had from the Elan movement, which is where God called me. And I'm a firm believer where God called you. Just stay there. Don't be looking for this, that or the other. Just go where God tells you, do what God tells you to do. And when he called you home, um, there, you might hear that voice, well done, thou good. And faithful servant listen I've gone way over my time God bless you for your patience and perseverance and thank you for listening so patiently I hope and pray that what I've shared with you tonight if you don't know Jesus Christ that it will have moved you closer to an understanding that he came into the world to save people like you and me I was lost and marginalized anonymous and uh, had no idea like Nebuchadnezzar what the, I didn't know what life was about and when the gospel was preached to me it was like that's what's missing in my life when Nebuchadnezzar heard Daniel interpret the dream he said that's the dream he knew how did he know I don't know he didn't know before but as soon as he was told the penny dropped and it was like that for me when I asked Jesus into my life my life began to make sense from that day forward God bless you tonight. I'll hand back to the pastor. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you would like any more information, have a look at our website at www.balleymoneyelam.com.